Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. Evan Lazar, Alex Barth, Patriots Beat Podcast on this Thursday night, and we are going to reset the roster. Let's call it that, Alex, uh, for the next 30 minutes or so. Then we're going to take some questions about players on the team and what we saw out at minicamp. But we wanted to start with the roster reset and go through sort of some of the burning questions for the Patriots as we head into the summer break here. I kind of like that that summer break. Uh, I don't know if that's that's thing, something that we've used before, but I, I like the the sound of that. It is kind of like that, right? You get these like six weeks yeah. off before it, training. It really camp. is. You know, people talk about how the NFL does such a, a, a great job of dominating the calendar, and it's really a you know 365 day league. And yeah. there is some truth to that. But if there is a dead period on the NFL calendar, it's, it's right between now. right spring practices and training camp, with the exception of. That's generally when you get the most Madden news, but I know we'll get into that later in the show. Because yeah, I'm sure it. you're just excited about it as I am. I am pumped for the new Madden. I, I told Alex earlier today that I am going to sell my PS4, but yeah, I'm definitely excited about the new Madden anyway. But I, I do want to uh, start with the quarterbacks because this time last year, Alex, uh, in this dead period of the offseason, is when the Patriots signed Cam Newton to a contract, July 1st uh, last year. So the Patriots didn't go to sleep during this dead period of the offseason or take a summer break. But from what we saw at a minicamp, the continue the big question I think over the team is how serious can this quarterback competition really be once we get into training camp before between Cam and Mac Jones? We've talked about this subject multiple times already on the Monday show, on the Tuesday show. Right. We didn't talk yesterday about the Wednesday practice where Cam had his best practice of minicamp and really looked like he was in command and looked like the type of quarterback you would expect in a shorts and and helmets practice out of a starting NFL quarterback going 17 for 21, really dominating 11 on 11s. But do we still feel the same? Do we still feel the same way that Mac Jones can make this a legitimate quarterback competition? I, I still feel the way I have since they picked him. Uh, I think he can make it feel like it is. I think he could maybe even be the better quarterback to the eye test. But Cam Newton starting week one. They value experience too much at that position to start a rookie there. I truly believe it. That's why Stidham didn't start last year. Bill didn't want to go to a quarterback while the team was teetering who had never you know, played a serious NFL snap before. He played mop-up time, but he'd never played a serious NFL snap. And look, eventually you got to get the guy going, right? I just don't think they do it week one. I don't think they do it within the first month. I know people have pointed to the Brady game. Uh, I don't, I, I don't, I, I don't think it happens. And that's not to say, you know, 
I think Cam's this amazing quarterback. I think Cam has has had his moments, and I think he'll be capable. But I just don't see, based on history, I don't see this team starting a rookie quarterback, no matter what Mac does in in training camp. I don't see him starting week one either, and I think Cam has done enough in terms of what he did last year and what he's done in these six OTA practices or mini camp practices that we've been at to at least say, okay, he can be somebody that can start this year, start the season at least. If things go awry, then maybe Mac gets thrown in there. But I think one of the things that we get the most out of these mini camp practices, because you do have to teeter along that line of you don't want to look in too much into these three practices without contact, without pads. We have this conversation all the time as well. And I think the one thing that you do get out of these practices is that these three days in OTAs in general in the spring is all about installing your basic fundamental principles of your offense, right? What is your basic passing system? What are the basic four or five, six plays? Maybe sometimes more in Josh McDaniels' case because his playbook is so large. But what are the handful of plays that you want to be able to say, this is our foundation. This is what we run. This is what we are. This is our identity. And when you go out there and you watch these practices, so much of what they do is the is the quick game, right? So much of it is just hit the top of the drop, make a decision with the football, get the ball out quickly, and put it in the in the hands of the receivers to run with it after the catch, right? A lot of these vertical routes in Josh McDaniel's system, unless you're backside one-on-one and you have that true pre-snap look of being a one-on-one matchup, most of the vertical routes are clearing out space, right? They want to take right. the top off the defense to open up the underneath and getting to those quick throws underneath quickly and putting the ball in positions for those re- receivers to re- uh, to run after the catch with the ball in their hands is the number one thing that I saw out there these three days that Josh McDaniels still values the most. And if you look at that sort of quarterback, and then the other thing I would say McDaniels values the most is hitting moving targets, moving horizontally to the line of scrimmage, right? So crossing routes, dig routes, things like that, where the receivers are moving across the field and you have to hit them on the run. And you don't want to throw low, you don't want to throw high, you don't want to throw behind them, you want to run it into the yards after the catch, and that's how they create those yak opportunities. And all those types of things, the quick game, the horizontal moving receivers, Mac Jones is just a better stylistic fit for that type of offense. So do I think that Mac Jones is going to start right away? I don't. But do I think that Mac has solidified himself as a nice fit in their future plans from these three days in the three days that we saw before that in OTAs? Absolutely. And I think that's even something that Cam has sort of, identified it and sort of uh, on Thursday or excuse me on Tuesday it was he owned up to it and said it it was the right pick right he was the best player available I 110 support that I understand that he's the understand he's the future and see that he's going to be the future of this organization so when you look at what Josh McDaniels wants in a QB the quick decision making the accuracy within 20 yards the ability to hit a moving target horizontally coming across the formation Mac Jones checks all of those boxes, and it's always been sort of a weird stylistic fit from a passing game perspective with Cam Newton, who kind of wants to be able to let things develop a little bit more down the field, take some shots down the field vertically, and and sort of hold the ball in the pocket just for that extra half a beat to become a playmaker. And what happens is, is when you do that, then that underneath coverage sort of closes down on those little quick hitting routes that McDaniels wants to run, and then the yards after the catch aren't as available to 
continue because the ball is not coming out as quickly as you want it to. So is Mac going to start right away? I still say no, but do I think that Mac is going to start sooner rather than later? I say yes, just because of the, the things I just went, mentioned about sort of this stylistic fit of what McDaniels wants to do. And we had Tim Jenkins on, uh, what was that, a month ago now, Alex? And he mentioned that Josh McDaniels runs Josh McDaniels' offense, right? McDaniels, especially in the passing game, is not going to revamp his system and his playbook for Cam Newton. He's just not going to. So if he's not going to change and adapt to what Cam does best in the passing game and he's going to stick to his roots, then Max the guy. Yeah. I, I, again, I'm not saying that he can't start this year. I just think it's, you know, it's not just overcoming the gap between him and Cam. I think it's uh, just with how much they value experience, it's getting to that point where, you know, I can, he, he just has to prove to them he can handle the situation. I don't think he could just be better than Cam. I think he has to be significantly, significantly better. And, and I, I'm not saying he can't get to that point. I just, it's, I don't think there's enough time between now and week one for that to happen. Yeah, and there's also the whole we haven't even got into run game stuff yet because they're not they don't have pads on, so we're not really right. in the point of the offseason where they're installing run game stuff. That's a whole nother conversation, right? About what right. Cam brings in terms of a design quarterback runner, a threat to run the football from the quarterback position. That's sort of how I felt about the Jared Stidham Cam Newton competition last summer, was that the Patriots said from a passing game perspective, maybe they're about even, but as an athlete, Cam just brings so much more to the table. Then you add on to that the leadership and the intangibles and stuff like that that Cam brings to the huddle. Uh, it just was overwhelmingly favored for Cam in, in all those types of areas, leadership, experience, athleticism, and the ability to run with the football. All those types of things, I think, added up to Cam being the overwhelming favorite and obviously the the easy decision over Jared Stidham. But can Mac be good enough as a passer to sort of outweigh the fact that Cam is a dominant runner still, I would say, even at this point of his career? Yeah, and again, that's where it goes to, you know, it's got to be – it it has to be be exponentially better. I think it's going to look like a competition to us. I think internally it's not going to be as much of a competition at first. Yeah, I I can kind of understand that. All right, let's briefly talk about Jared Stidham and just sort of his future on this team because to me what I saw out of camp, and and I'm writing about this in my roster projection moving forward as well, is just – I think Mac Jones right now is good enough to be a backup quarterback in the NFL. Maybe we're not ready to crown him as the starter yet here, but I think he's ready to be a backup quarterback. So does that turn Jared Stidham into sort of dead weight? And I think we actually disagree on this one because I I think that Jared Stidham is a great candidate to try to pull off one of those, like the Jacoby Brissett trade, right? Where you trade Jacoby Brissett for Philip Dorsett and you add, you know, to a position of need. I don't know if the Patriots necessarily add for, uh, look for a player to add to the roster with how deep their roster is. I don't know if they have a spot for that player, but if they feel like they want to carry an extra body at a different position, and Jared Stidham is sort of going to be the third quarterback on the depth chart. It makes a lot of sense to me to look for a trade with Jared Stidham. Yeah, so I have a roster projection uh, coming out tomorrow as well, 98.5thesportsub.com. I I think Stidham right now, so there there there's multiple avenues where he provides value. I think first, again, it goes back to the experience. I don't know that Bill Belichick is carrying just one quarterback with NFL experience, and I know he's done it before, but he had Tom Brady. He doesn't have Tom Brady. He doesn't have an entrenched starter right now. 
I think if he had an entrenched starter, I think if, you know, Cam Newton was more solidly in that position or if Mac Jones had a year under his belt, it's a different story, but that's not the case. I also think with carrying two quarterbacks, you get into the season and one of those guys is going to have to run the scout team. And if Cam's the starter, that leaves Mac primarily with the scout team, which yeah. gives him less time with the with the first team offense, with the Patriots offensive system in itself, and that's going to stunt his development. That was part of the problem with Stidham last year, right? This was talked about where he was so busy working on the scout team, he didn't necessarily have time to improve within the context of the Patriots offense. Now, there's ways to fix that. You can sign a practice squad quarterback. We're waiting on what the practice squad rules are going to be this year. If they can add veterans, then maybe you get Brian Hoyer on there or, or, or Stidham himself, and then you only need to keep two quarterbacks because that practice squad quarterback is going to run the scout team. If not, and you can, you're kind of still limited to those young players, maybe there's no rookie out there they're comfortable with running the scout team. Right. If they can't get Stidham or Hoyer on there, it gets a little more difficult. What are you going to bring back Brian Lewerke from the spring league to come do it? So as of right now, I do think that there are avenues where Stidham presents value. Now, if you get an offer with a guy like a Philip Dorsett, a guy with that quality talent, yeah, you probably take it and you figure out the rest. But I don't know that they're in a position right now and there's, there's things are going to change. There's time for this to change. If the decisions had to be made today, I don't think they are in a position where they would be comfortable openly shopping Jared Stidham. So I think the scout team thing is a really great point. I think that that's a very fair point to make about this whole conversation is that it's a totally different animal if you're the backup quarterback running scout team all year long because you're actually operating the other team's playbook, right. right? You're not operating the Patriots' playbook. You're operating the opponent's playbook. And if you only have two quarterbacks at practice, somebody's got to run scout team. Like, someone's got to do it. It's not going to be Cam, right. right? If he's starting, it's not going to I don't think you Cam. can bring back Jake Dolgala. He's somewhere. I forget where, right. but he's somewhere. Maybe, maybe uh, isn't Brian Lewerke in, like, the AAF the spring or something? League. No, yeah. in the Spring League. In the Spring League. He, so maybe- I'll tell you this. I actually watched his last game. Uh, I wouldn't bring him back. <laughs> I wouldn't bring him back based on that last game. So, so the question is, what it boils down Jamar, to, uh, Jamar Smith, whatever happened Jamar to Jamar Smith? Smith? I think he's in Canada. Uh, I'm, or, You're right, he is. We, we maybe, talked about this. Yeah. So he's I, with the uh, the uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats. The there Tiger we go. He's backing yeah. up uh, Jeremiah Masoli. Exactly. So There's I think CFL minute. To me, that is the biggest conversation right there. Is can they get Brian – do they feel like they can get Brian Hoyer back on the practice squad? A few years ago when Jaron Siddham was a rookie, they cut Brian Hoyer because Jaron Siddham beat him out in camp as the backup as a rookie, and Brian Hoyer signed with the Colts, right? He, he ended right. up leaving town. So if Brian Hoyer is going to have a, an opportunity elsewhere, the Jets kick the tires on Brian Hoyer briefly in free agency. He ends up coming back to the Patriots – if the if the Jets or another team is interested in, in signing Brian Hoyer and they cut him and they lose him again, then yeah, then you run into a problem with the scout team. And is that really what you want Mac Jones to be doing all season long? Is is running the opponent's plays and, and getting all that kind of all that terminology and all that yeah. that stuff in his head? Pro- probably not. But I do feel like they have a chance. Because if you're Brian Hoyer, like as as much as it would be nice to be on a 53 man roster, you know anywhere that you go that you're going to be that 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 veteran that's holding the clipboard that's teaching the young quarterback. Like if you go to the Jets, your job is going to be to tutor Zach Wilson. Like that that's just right. going to be your job and probably well, run scout team I, there in so, New York as well. 
I, I don't know that it's about the role. And yeah, there's a conversation here where I said all that about Stidham. They couldn't, I think they're keeping three quarter, quarterbacks. I think there's an argument between Hoyer and Stidham. Um, the thing with, you know, because I, I see people say this. Why, why wouldn't Stidham stay and be on the practice squad? Why wouldn't he stay and be a coach? Money. Right. You're making 10 times yeah. on the active roster what you're making on the practice squad. That's why. The best bet for him yeah. staying here is, and he said this, his kids are in school here. He has a house here. His family likes it here. This is where, you know, after his career, this is where he wants to raise are. his family. Right. right. So that's the argument. But don't say, oh, it's the same thing being on the, and this isn't to pick on you specifically, like I no. hear this, you know, oh, why be, on, why be on the Jets roster where you can be on the Patriots practice squad? Oh, why, you know, why can't he just be a coach? Money. He's making significantly more money being on the 53-man roster. And oh, if they want him more, why don't they just pay him like it? The Patriots are not going to make Brian Hoyer one of the highest-paid positional coaches in the league. They're right. just not going to do that. So he's either on the roster or maybe he gets on the practice squad. I think they'd take him if they could get him on the practice squad. But you're opening up the chance of losing him then. Yeah, that, that, I think that's absolutely fair. And if they don't feel 100% comfortable with either macroing the scout team or signing some quarterback to run scout team or something like that off a, off a practice squad or, or off the street or whatever, then, then maybe you do keep three quarterbacks. But to me, you have an asset to some degree with Jared Stidham. And if you feel like Mac Jones is truly going to be the backup quarterback, and the future starter, and there's zero chance that you're turning the keys over to Jared Stidham ever, then it feels like Jared Stidham is the dead weight. And at some point in time, you got to at least, if you can maximize that asset in terms of a trade, I think you got to look into that. But I, I do hear the scout team thing, and that is that is kind of a, a hiccup in all of this if you want to carry two. Now, the Patriots carried two quarterbacks with one, uh, the backup to Tom Brady being a rookie three times, right? Brian Hoyer right. in 09, Jimmy G in 2014, and then Stidham in 2019. But, but again, like, at, at least it, for two of those, you had an entrenched starter in Tom Brady. If you want to say 2019, maybe they knew Brady right. was leaving. That's a bit of a different story. But also, look what it did to Jared Stidham's development. He's kind of plateaued. And if he had had somebody else to take the scout team reps where, you know, and Cody Brian Hoyer's a, Brian Hoyer is a great scout team quarterback. Right. Great, like, well, great, one of the greats at the scout team. It was a Super Bowl against the Rams, Super Bowl 53, yeah. that all the defensive players after the Super Bowl and they're celebrating the locker room, all of them are talking about how, what a great job. Brian Hoyer did at mimicking Jared Goff and the communication that Jared Goff has with Sean McVay and sort of being able to kind of emulate that Rams offense. So yeah, I I think that that that's a big part of it as well. It's a much bigger yeah. deal to Bill Belichick, the scout team quarterback, than it is to you to to most people on the outside looking but, in. But, right? but the, the reality, let's let's forget about who it's a big deal for. The reality is it is important. The reality is that matters and. Again, there's ways they can fix it. Go get Cody Kessler on the practice squad. Go get Danny Etling on the practice squad. But we don't know that they're going to have those options just yet. As of right now, it looks like it's going to be tough to get a veteran on the practice squad. If that's the case, and, and you know, I'm saying this is the case for keeping Stidham, maybe you could say, well, if you're just keeping the third quarterback for the practice squad, get rid of Stidham, sign, uh, keep Hoyer. That's a fair conversation, and I'd be right. willing to have that. And that, you know, I might even change my opinion on that here in the next, as I say it, I'm thinking about changing my opinion on it. But I, you know, I think right now they're in a position where they're going to want to keep three quarterbacks, and it is doable. It's not necessarily easy, but 
there's tough cuts this year. That's the reality of it. I went through my, my roster projection today. I think when I was done, you know, cut, you know, getting rid of the guys who I knew I was going to let go right off the bat, I was at about 65 players. Right. So there's tough decisions coming left and right with this roster. I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to be in bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC, MMA action. Real-time updated odds and props on almost everything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and take advantage of the 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook F- experts. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Yeah, the trade Stidham, keep Hoyer as the third guy is, is not a bad plan either if you want to keep three quarterbacks. Let's right. move over to the wide receivers and talk about Nikhil Harry because I think well, this is another yeah. big story. No, no, go, go sorry, go ahead. This is another big question I think team moving forward is what what do you do with Nikhil Harry? Because to put it frankly, if you took the jerseys off of Nikhil Harry and Isaiah Zuber and you asked some person that has never watched a Patriot game in their life and has never watched a snap of practice, who is the better receiver at minicamp, this guy or that guy, I think a lot of people would have said Zuber. Right, like a, a lot of just objective, you know, you drop some some alien in from outer space, and you say who's the best receiver here. I think a lot of people would have said Zuber, but Nikhil Harry is your first round pick from 2019. Obviously, has a, a lot more you know, kind of sunken cost, if you will, in a player yeah. like Nikhil Harry. He did have he has slimmed down. Nikhil Harry, he, ha- he did have a few nice catches along the sideline running sort of like comeback stop routes, hitch routes, stuff like that along the sidelines. He boxed the guy out. I think it was Michael Jackson on one of them. That was okay. But really lacked any sort of wow plays down the field and still has issues, I think, with cre- creating consistent separation. So at some point in time, do you walk away and, and like I said, some cost, right, and, and sort of admit admit defeat on it and try to get something back in a trade? Or do you still think that this team is going to continue to try to make Nikhil Harry work? So this you, you had your big trade and your roster projection was Stidham, right? Mine's yeah. Nikhil Harry. That is, you know, he doesn't fit. They seem to be looking for a different type of receiver, the Patriots, over the last two years. Uh, more technically sound guys. Uh, quicker, um, better hands catchers, that sort of thing. So I think trying to turn Nikhil Harry into that kind of guy doesn't help anybody. I don't think it helps the Patriots. I don't think it helps Nikhil Harry. I think a change of scenery is what both sides need. So there were reports during free agency that there were teams, multiple teams, interested in acquiring Nikhil Harry in a trade. The Arizona Cardinals were one. Washington was another. I think you open that back up, especially if a team loses a, a receiver to to injury during training camp. Uh, I think trading the keel makes a lot of sense for both sides. And I think Isaiah Zuber is the perfect player 
to take that final spot on the roster because, and I pounded the table about this, Evan, versatility is going to mean so, so much when it comes to putting this roster together at the end of camp. And Isaiah Zuber is both versatile within the offense. He can line up all over the formation. We saw him used as a gadget player last year. He's a better fit for that new mold I just talked about. And he has versatility between phases. He was an All-American kick returner. That's, you know, initially what probably drew them to him. Last year, he kind of looked like that. He looked like, a you know, a, a specialist. He's come back now. He seems to have really rounded himself out as a wide receiver. His route running was much better. I think his hand placement was much better when it comes to, you know, just, just welcoming the football and his interacting with the football at the point of attack. I thought that was much better. So I think they get more out of a guy like Isaiah Zuber with that final wide receiver spot than they would with a guy like Nikhil Harry. And I think they can get something for him. You're not getting a return on your investment. You're not getting a first-round pick. Uh, if they're willing to kick the, the can and make the pick down the road in 2023 instead of 2022, they might be able to get an early to mid-day three pick for him if he is a decent camp. I don't think like a, a you know a fifth-round pick, maybe even a fourth-round pick from a Super Bowl contender is an outrageous return for Nikhil Harry at this point. He's got two more concrete years on his deal, very affordable. There's a fifth-year option in there as well, so three years of team control. I think they can get something for him, and I think that's the move. If you're trying to, you know, open up a roster spot and you're going to have to move good players, you don't want to just cut good players. You want to get something for them. I think Nikhil Harry's the way you go there. I actually don't mind trading Nikhil either. I have him on the roster right now strictly because with Isaiah Zuber, I think that I do need to see the pads go on and see him fight through contact, finish through contact, deal with tougher coverage, deal with more physical coverage, because in these types of practices in the spring, and I know he did some of those things last year as well, but specifically right now, in these practices in the spring, there's no there's no jamming, there's no riding receivers down the field, there's no physicality to the coverage, no safety coming over the top, ready to crack you, coming over the middle. None of these things are happening, and when you're a speedy wide receiver, like a guy like Isaiah Zuber, you're, you should shine in these types of practices, right? Like, you should shine, but no one can touch you. This should be where you are highlighting your skill set, and you are the fastest receiver on the field, and you are a guy that can really run and create separation. If you can't, if you're a speedy wideout, and you're not flashing in OTAs and minicamp, then that's a problem. Right, like even a guy like Marvin Hall at times was was getting open because he's fast in these camps, right? And everybody's not touching anybody and stuff like that. So I I think there's an element that I want to see that. But what you mentioned with Isaiah Zuber being the kick returner stuff, the gadget play type of stuff on offense, if you're gonna keep because. Jacoby Myers, Nelson Aguilar, and Kendrick Bourne are your top three receivers, right? Nikhil Harry, right. I don't think, is going to crack that top three. So we're and Gunner is going to be on the team. Yeah. So we're really talking about fourth or fifth receivers here at this point. And as a fifth receiver, Isaiah on, Zuber is exactly what you want. Right. He's just yeah. far. He's just far more valuable because of his ability to contribute on special teams, his ability to come out in, in on certain packages and be that jet sweep end around type of gimmick uh, gadget play, even if it's just a fake or a ghost motion, as they call it, and just make the defense see it coming, right, and and, and respect it. And in a lot of ways, I don't think he's going to be as good as this as Cordero Patterson, but that's the sort of role that you could think of for Isaiah Zuber, and I don't think Nikhil Harry fits in that kind of role and doesn't add that, that other element in terms of the kick game versatility. So if you're going to carry a fifth receiver – 
then it does feel like a guy like Isaiah Zuber can do a little bit more as kind of a, uh, a depth piece than somebody like Nikhil Harry. And you talked about the teams that were sort of interested in Nikhil Harry, uh, you know, during free agency in March and that period of time. And Arizona just seems like such a great team for Nikhil Harry to go to yes. because with Cliff Kingsbury, it's not, they, they didn't go full air raid with Cliff Kingsbury, right? He did kind of, uh, he, he, his, some of his system's a little bit more pro style than what he was running in college, right? But right. for the most part, he likes to keep receivers on one side of the formation in one spot. If you look at DeAndre Hopkins' heat map from last year, he is on one side of the formation for like 95% of his snaps, right? They don't move guys around in Arizona. So with Nikhil Harry, he's going to be able to run vertical routes there, and he's going to be able to run them from the same spot every single time. And that's going to be a lot easier for him to sort of get up to speed and succeed in that type of system than in a system where the Patriots, where they want you to be able to move around the formation, learn multiple spots, run a full route tree, you know, things like that. In Arizona, he's just going to be able to run fades on the outside for four straight quarters. And maybe Kyler Murray throws up three or four of them to him, you know, on a broken play or or something like that. And he makes a couple of big plays out of it a game, right? And that can be the way that he succeeds. But the Patriots, they want route runners. They want detailed guys. They want guys that you say run, you know, a a 10-yard stop route, you run a 10-yard stop route. You don't run an 11-yard stop route. You don't run a 12-yard stop route. You run a 10-yard stop route, right? That that, that type of thing doesn't happen necessarily in in a system like Arizona's, right? Or even a system like Seattle's, for example, that's more of kind of an open vertical type of passing system. So I think there are teams that could make better use of Nikhil Harry if he does come available in a trade. I, I do wonder, and this kind of gets into a little bit of, of Belichick stuff, but how stubborn is, is Belichick going to be about that, right? Like how, how long is it going to take Bill to finally quit it, right, with Nikhil right. Harry and recognize the mistake and just move on? That 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 will be a factor, I think. But o- overall, I just think other systems will get the most out of Nikhil Harry that he's not going to get here because they tried using him as sort of like a ball carrier, right, on end arounds and jet sweeps. And he had some success with that his rookie year, but he's just not fast enough in the open field for that kind of role. Right. And then they tried to use him a little bit more as kind of in their X role, and there's just too much route detail there. There's just too much nuance there to that position that's necessary. It just seems like he needs to be in a vertical-based passing system where he can just go up and get it. And I don't know if the Patriots are ever going to allow him to just do that. It's always going to be something else. Right, it's not their offense. Can we actually take a quick detour? Here's a great question in the comments. Mike Larry um, is asking, So, and, and I just kind of talked about it, right? That, that the Patri- and, and you talked about it as well. The Patriots have a very certain kind of receiver they like. And, yeah. You know, okay, so which college program produces those kinds of receivers? None of them. Yeah. Anymore. That's, so this is, this, you want to know why the Patriots have had trouble drafting receivers in recent years. I don't necessarily think it's because they can't evaluate receiver talent. Maybe that's part of it, but I think the bigger problem is, and they, by the way, this is a problem for all of the NFL. It's, it's more obvious with the Patriots, but this is, this is why you're seeing less quarterbacks hit, less receivers hit. This is an underlying problem that nobody's really talking about and is going to come to a head at some point in the next five years. The college game has drifted so far from the pro game in terms of what players are asked to do offensively. It is much more based on raw athletic ability than technique. 
uh, offensively in college. And what happens, and, and you're seeing that style come to the NFL now. You mentioned Cliff Kingsbury, right? Guys like that. And part of that is it's just easier for these players to transition. I don't want to say it's an easier offense to run, but it's easier to pick up because, again, it's based on your physical abilities, right? You're just raw physicality. So there's less of a learning curve. The colleges don't really run pro-style offenses anymore. They're fading very quickly. Alabama was one of the last ones, and they stopped about three or four years ago. So the Patriots, you know, under Brady, it never made sense to change their offense because Brady made it work. Now that Brady's not here anymore, we'll see what Mac Jones can do. And I'm not saying they have to go fully, you know, air raid, 50 passes a game, Cliff Kingsbury, Bruce Arians, Andy Reid, whatever. They don't have to fully do that. But – you may, and, and you may need to pull in some more college concepts that make things a little easier on these receivers for the transition. And I think Mac Jones is a very good opportunity to do that because I think Alabama runs as close to the Patriots offense as you'll find in college football without actually doing some of the more complex stuff the Patriots do. So to answer your question, again, to get back to the original question, college football has deviated so far from what uh, the NFL offenses are, and the Patriots are as pro of an offense as you'll find in pro football. And that's a big part of the reason they've had this difficulty. Evan, correct me if any of what I've said was wrong there, but I've felt no. this way for a while. The, the only team that I would mention besides Alabama that does some of that stuff is Ohio State. But most of Ohio State's site adjustments, and when I talk about site adjustments, I'm talking about yeah. Uh, yeah, option Alabama, routes. To be fair, Alabama's not the only one. Like, it's not right. just Alabama. There's still some. That one was just in my mind because we've been, you know, right. so much so, with Mac Jones. So Ohio State does do a lot of site adjustments, which, I, I, I mean, option routes, choice routes, whatever you want talk about it, however you want to call it. But Ohio State's site adjustments for the most part, at least with Justin Fields and recently like with their, their quarterbacks they've had of late, Justin Fields, yeah. Dwayne Haskins, those types of passers, most of their site adjustments come at 12 yards, right, which is a lot further down the field than what a site adjustment would necessarily be in a New England system, right, where a lot of what McDaniels likes to do is in the quick game, as I mentioned earlier. So they do some of that stuff. I know K.J. Hill coming out of Ohio State a few years ago as their slot receiver, he talked a lot about how he watched a ton of Julian Edelman. Yeah. Uh, you know, Wes Welker, those types of guys, because he did a lot of that type of option stuff. With Justin Fields, they went a lot more vertical option routes, but they do some side adjustments in their offense. But for the most part, what, the difference between the Patriots offense, I would say, and a lot of college offenses, and even offenses around the NFL, is that usually the choice route or the option route is only one player in the progression that really has a choice. So, like, right. in Kyle Shanahan's offense, for example, uh, you know, why? Why, why options a huge play with George Kittle, right? Like he gets yeah. to go up the field at like eight to 12 yards and whoever is playing in, whether he's being man to man or zoned or bracketed, he has the option to just kind of do whatever he wants to get open at that point, right? Jason Witten made a career off of why option in, in Dallas with Tony Romo. That type of route though has everybody else in the field locked. Whereas with the Patriots, everybody's route might adjust, right? If you run something like Haas Y Juke or Haas Z Juke, right, you have the outside hitches can adjust to fades against press coverage. The seam route can be adjusted to either an inside curl or sort of like an outside fade, seam fade almost, depending on if it's open field, uh, middle field open or middle field closed. So there's just so many different things that happen in those types of plays that the Patriots – 
side adjust to a lot of different things. And this is a conversation about receivers. It's also a conversation about quarterbacks where for the QB, like the receiver only has to worry about him and probably the guy next to him, right? But with the quarterback, he's got to worry about all five eligible going into the into the route, right? Like everybody going into the route, he needs to understand how everybody's route converts and then break it down from there. So it's it's a very complex system. It's a very difficult system to grasp. And I think that this is a big reason why as well. We talked you talked about sort of the struggles with drafting wide receivers, which I think is a huge part of it. But this is I think a big reason why you pay Nelson Aguilar and you pay Kendrick Bourne is because you need to get veteran receivers right. that have been around the block a little bit, that understand things a little bit. And that's a big reason why if I'm the Patriots I don't worry about drafting receivers anymore. I pay at that position from now yeah. on, right? I, I acquire via veterans, whether it's in free agency or via trade, because that's where I'm going to be able to see guys that can sort of convert into this system and be able to kind of uh, pick up this system. So yeah. I think Aguilar and Bourne signings really speak to the fact that they just kind of were like, you know what, like, we're not going to be able to draft this spot because it's so different and we're not asking the same thing out of our guys. So let's just go get guys that have run in some complex systems. You know, the Raiders run West Coast, so do the Niners, but it's they do all have some sort of optionality to it and they do have some complex elements to it in both systems. So uh, at least there's some carryover that we can sort of see they've been in that position before they've ran that route before. And this is what it looks like. Whereas in the college game, that's just so so few and far in between. Yeah. I mean, like you said, I think it's signing veterans or changing the offense. The one other thing I'll add to this conversation, uh, I, everything we just explained, I think is why Jacoby Myers has had so much success here because you talk about the football IQ. It's needed to play all the positions on the Patriots offense, not just quarterback and I want to preface this by saying I'm not calling wide receivers dumb. That's not what this is. But quarterback just naturally comes with that higher football IQ. So, you know, converted quarterbacks as a whole, I think, you know, there's a reason those guys are succeeding here because it's it's so mental playing wide receiver in the Patriots offense. And for a guy like Jacoby Myers, who's used to having to know three, four, five passing patterns on every single play. You know, for a receiver coming here from college, having to do that might be difficult. If you've been playing quarterback and you've already sort of been doing that, it makes that transition a little easier. So what programs produce receivers for the Patriots? That's a tough question to answer. There really isn't one. But if you want to really go into the college game and find guys who project to be Patriots wide receivers right away, Evan, like you said, I think really the goal should be to find veterans. But if you want to find young guys who can come into the system, and we talked about this during the draft, find the converted quarterbacks. Find the Jacoby Myers. You had um uh from Florida. I can't believe blanking on his name. He's like my favorite prospect. Kadarius Tony. Kadarius Tony, right. Yeah. A converted quarterback. Guys like that. If you want to look for guys in the college game who can play wide receiver for the Patriots, go to their bio on, on their team page and see if they played quarterback at all in college. Those are the guys you want to circle. Okay, let, let's move over. And yeah, you know, sorry, sorry for the tangent. No. I just, it's a really good question. No, that was a good question. I'm glad we talked about it. But the next thing, I don't want to move our defense just yet. I do right. want to talk about the tight end position because another – Difficult, you know, we were both sitting down doing our, our roster projections. I think another difficult conversation we were having is about Dalton Keene, 
right? And what they do yeah. at tight end specifically, you know, Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith are going to be on the roster. I yep. think Devin Asiasi has done enough from last year and in the spring this year to at least put him on the roster now and not really think about moving on from him. Maybe he ends up getting traded because he has more value than Dalton Keene and Dalton Keene's the third tight end. Regardless though, what do you feel happens to those two second year guys? Because they kind of, well, I don't know how to call it, but they, they kind of set themselves up for this, right? Where they signed the two right. guys in free agency. They just drafted two guys in, in the third round last year. So now they just have a ton of assets used in the tight end position. So I, I, they're going to keep three tight ends. I can't imagine they keep just two. Maybe if they keep six wide receivers, then, then we have that conversation, but I don't think they do. Um, I, so I, based on what we've seen so far, Devin Asiasi had a very good spring. And I think he's the guy, you know, Matt Lacoste had a good spring too, but just contractually, it's much easier to keep Devin Asiasi. What you want is a couple of these guys to just have great preseasons and you trade them, right? I don't think it's unrealistic to think Matt Lacoste could get in a spot where he has some trade value. Even if it's, you know, a seventh, a conditional sixth, whatever, it's better than cutting the guy. So th- that's an opportunity. Uh, I-, I think Asiasi's on based on what we've seen so far. Dalton Keene, like you said, is the tough one. And, I want to keep Dalton Keene because he can play tight end and fullback. And I don't know that they have a massive need for fullback this year, right? With those two tight end sets, there's going to be a lot of 12 personnel. You're not going to be using a fullback as much, but you'd still like to have the option. And Keene gives you that option. And he's more versatile than a guy like Jakob Johnson. At the same time, you're really only going to be using a traditional fullback down around the goal line. And if that's the case... You put Michael Owenu there, put Justin Heron there, put, you know, Dietrich Wise there. You know, they've done it before. Seymour, Klecko, Ferentz, Landon Roberts, whatever. I don't know that you absolutely need a fullback. So, to me, it could go really either way with Dalton Keene. It depends on what they do. At running back, right, do they keep J.J. Taylor? Do they keep Brandon Bolden? Uh, What they do almost, you know, defensively. How many safeties are they going to keep? Things like that. I think Keen's really, really in the balance right now. I have him just out on my roster projection, but if you tell me they're keeping him, I wouldn't call you crazy. Yeah, so I have him on the team right now, and I have Jakob Johnson off the team because I do think they're going to go yeah. away from sort of the both, 21 both personnel. Both of those guys are not making the team. There's no right. way both of those guys make the team. Right, so they, we're assuming they're going away from the 21 personnel with the fullback and the eye formation, the strong eye, all that kind of stuff. And based off of what we saw at minicamp with Josh McDaniels, McDaniels threw two tight ends right out there Monday. For, yeah. First walk through Monday, he's got Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith and 12 personnel as the as the first grouping, right? And when you see that, I, I think you also see Devin Asiasi with that top group kind of circling in as well a whole lot. I think you can see, all right, that that's going to be the plan. And Johnny Smith, in, in my mind, and we saw we didn't see a ton of Johnny, so I, this wasn't necessarily something that we saw, but we did in the brief time that he was out there is kind of used as an H-back, you know, kind of playing a little bit more off the line of scrimmage, using him a little bit more out of the backfield and moving him around, whereas Hunter Henry is going to kind of be the guy that lines up either in line or detached, just but in a set yeah. spot, right? And I think Johnny Smith is going to be kind of this rover type of player, right? That, right? That's kind of used in a lot of different places. Now, I'm not saying that, that Dalton Keene, 
is as good as Johnny Smith or can do the same things that Johnny Smith can, but he does have that versatility and experience from Virginia Tech in that sort of H-back kind of role. So to me, I could see Dalton Keene on this team as sort of the backup to Johnny Smith. Devin Asiasi is sort of the backup to Hunter Henry, right? That That's kind of how right. I, I'm envisioning it. And the reason why they kind of can go away from the fullback too is that H-back role playing off the line, even though you're kind of set right off the line of scrimmage instead of in the backfield, you can still do a lot of the same lead blocking with an H-back as you can do with the fullback. It's not quite the same because with a fullback, the, the biggest advantage of the fullback is you can go both ways, right? You can go left or right. you can go right. With the H-back, you're kind of set in, in kind of where he is lined up in the formation. But, but I wouldn't put it past them. I wouldn't put it past them to line that guy up like a traditional fullback. No, and I think Jono can do that, and Jono can also carry the football. So there's a lot of options, I think, that he brings to the table with his versatility. And I, I think he's going to be sort of, like I mentioned, that rover that kind of where does he go in, in, in the formation is not going to really declare because he's going to be in so many different places. And I, I think that's how they're going to use him the most. So to me – Carrying four tight ends, no fullback, makes a little bit of sense if they can find a way to keep Dalton Keene. I wouldn't say that Dalton Keene necessarily did anything last year or in minicamp to say to me, this guy is going to be a good NFL player. Like, I'm not saying that I've really seen any of that. But I think on paper, the role makes some sense. And he, what he did at Virginia Tech is going to fit a lot more of what they're going to do moving forward than the James Devlin, Jakob Johnson, 21 personnel type of fullback formations that they were using, where they really only had one spot for a tight end, and it was a traditional Y in-line type of tight end position. I think Hunter Henry is going to hold that down for the most part, but I don't know how much of that we're really going to see because I think he's going to be detached a lot too. You know, I think Hunter Henry is going to be out wide or in the slot or kind of played as an X receiver a lot of the time as well. So it's a really fun tight end group because Hunter Henry and John who can do so many different things individually that the mixing and matching is going to be a whole lot of fun. But that's why I had Dalton King on the team is because I kind of see him as a very poor man's Johnny Smith, right? In that sort of mold. And, and maybe that is valuable enough to have that sort of insurance that if Johnny Smith were to go down hypothetically, they wouldn't need to completely scrap that from their offense if they didn't want to. Yeah, I just, you know, I don't know where you, who, so here's kind of what I do when it gets down, you know, when it gets tough, when you're working on the roster projections, when is this guy going to play? Cause they're not going to keep somebody on the roster who's not going to play. And yeah, I know you say, right, if John who gets hurt, then that's where Dalton Keene plays, but is there nobody else they can find who they can get on the practice squad that can do that? Right. Who are you keeping Dalton Keene over? I'd love to keep Dalton Keene on the roster. Absolutely. There's a lot of guys I'd like to keep on the roster that, that I, you know, I couldn't when I was going through my, my roster projections. So, you know, what you just explained isn't incorrect, but you know, is that role that you described, is that one of the 53 most important roles yeah. on the team? The backup move tight end? I don't know that it is. So that, that's kind of my logic for leaving them off. I don't disagree with anything you said. I just, you know, 
I'd rather have an eighth offensive lineman, right? I'd rather have that third quarterback, like I talked about, and have that scout team. Right, that, I think that's, that's the big one. And also, I, I wanted to mention quickly because yeah. I, I don't know if we both have six running backs on the team right now, but that's a spot I where I see six I running backs, and I'm like, they got to so find tough. a way. It, you got to find a way to cut that down, right? So if you you're do, but at the same time, it doesn't really make sense. Like I couldn't find a legitimate reason to cut any of those guys. No, those guys are all should be on the team. Just if right. you're taking the best 53 players on the roster, then all all six of those guys belong on the team. Right. It's just that six number next to the running back it's position a is scary because you don't normally see that. And but that's, that's between tight ends and, and running backs. We're not talking about ten players on the roster between those two positions if you keep both of the guys. Uh, the, right. It's a fifth of the roster. Tight ends. Right. It's a big part of the a chunk of the roster, not on the line of scrimmage, not, you know, in the defensive backfield or quarterbacks or whatever. So it, that's six number, though, before we move over to defense really quickly. We both have six running backs right now on the roster, and the only sort of avenue that I can see to trim it down, unless they could give up on a guy like J.J. Taylor, which I just don't necessarily see happening right now. Two's two. Yeah, the only thing that I could possibly see – is if Ramondre Stevenson is ready to back up Damian Harris and Sony Michelle becomes expendable and becomes a trade candidate. Sure. If, if that doesn't happen, I just don't see how any of those guys are outright released from the squad. And Brandon Bolden's another one, but I think if they cut Brandon Bolden, Miami poached him a few years ago. Remember? Right. They, they tried- yeah, they learned their lesson with that one. I don't know that he makes it through clean again. If you're just trying to get somebody right. on IR. I, I don't know that you get it back. And right. the other thing is, if Stevenson isn't ready to go, you, you need that. You, like, he gives you value as a veteran third down back. I wrote about this. I think what Bolden does, does on special teams, obviously a great special teams player, I think they could replace that based on the guys they have on the roster right now. What, the, what he gives them that they don't have is if Sony or Harris goes down, that second early down veteran running back. Right. Which again, they, they, they value experience so much. I, it's, it's Bolden's ability to carry the football for me and be, I'm not giving him the ball 25 times a game, but if it's five to 10 in the case of an injury, it's his ability to add depth at the running back position. That's why I'm keeping him. Yeah, and Ramondre Stevenson, it's minicamp. He's a rookie. I say the same about Matt Jones or Christian Barmore, Ronnie Perkins, any of these guys. But he did not get a lot of run in team drills in minicamp, right? Like, it's going to be a slow burn for Ramondre Stevenson, I think. And there were some instances where they were doing some walkthroughs in terms of setting protections and stuff like that. And all the rookies struggle with it, right? The rookie lineman, Mac Jones, Ramondre Stevenson. But Island Fears more than once had to pull Ramondre Stevenson from the drill because he was just making mistakes and, and it was kind of hurting the, the rest of the, of the players out there trying to run the drill. So I think there are going to be, I, I right now, if I had to guess, and it's way too early, it's June 17th, but right now on June 17th, if I had to guess, I would assume that they're thinking mostly red shirt year for Ramondre Stevenson, right. similarly to what they did with Damian Harris a few years ago, and I guess JJ Taylor too. So if that's the case, then I think it's really tough to, to trade Sony Michelle. If Ramondre Stevenson comes out in training camp, like gangbusters and a great player, then maybe Sony Michelle becomes a little bit more expendable, but yeah, that was another tough one that I, I was staring at for a while. Is am I really, are, are they really going to keep six running backs? Cause that's, that's just an absolutely right. huge number. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's tough. And I had, you know, 
I think I had JJ Taylor as so I I when I do roster projections, I don't know how many other people do this. I do like they do with March Madness with the bubble, right? I do the last three guys that made it onto the roster, and then the last three guys I took off, the last three guys I cut. I had JJ not in terms of talent, but just in terms of going through my process. JJ Taylor was the fifty third player on my roster. He was the last. Like if yeah. I had to make one more cut. It probably would have been JJ Taylor. He was the last guy I had on my roster, but I, I saw too much. It was, it was, it was, wasn't a ton last year. It was a small sample size, but I saw too much in that sample size to give up on him just yet. All right. Let's talk defense. We did 50 yep. minutes and rightfully so on the offensive huh. side of the ball. Cause I know the offensive I... side was a little harder when it came to the rod. The defense, yeah. you know, the secondary was tough. But I, you know, there were some cuts at linebacker I didn't necessarily want to make, but they made sense. I thought the defensive line was actually pretty straightforward. Yeah. So the defensive side of the ball is a little bit easier. A little okay, bit. So, Not so easy, the, but easier. The two questions that I found myself asking were, is there any scenario where Chase Winovich isn't on this team? And obviously I think Anthony Jennings is an interesting conversation as well. Yeah. What happens with him? But did you have, I put Widow in that group of, of like, He's going to have to really solidify himself this summer to make sure that he doesn't get put in a trade or something like that. But I, I think he's on the team, and I have him on the team. But did, did you have any sort of hesitations with uh, maybe putting Winnow in a trade like we did? I did with Stidham. You did with Nikhil Harry. Yeah, I mean, I briefly thought about it. I think he stays ultimately. I think that that group up front's too good, and it's his strength right now. You know, if you build your team around that and then you get hit with injuries, suddenly this thing that's schemed to be a strength, this position that's schemed to be a strength doesn't have any help. So I want a ton of depth there. I'm keeping Winovich. Uh, but you know, it, it, it briefly popped into my head and, and that can change. That can certainly change. He's not a guy that I, you know, I, I'm not writing him in in Sharpie. I'm writing him in in pencil. Uh, but. I I have him on the roster right now, and I really didn't think too much about it. I didn't think too much about it either because to be, I think Chase Winovich is going to be a really good football player for a long time. For, with the Patriots, yeah. it might be more of like a situational type of role where he's really kind of like a, a designated pass rusher and not necessarily somebody that plays a whole lot on first down. And that is going to be a little bit tough to get him on the field in those situations when you have Judon and Van Noy and Hightower and Uche ahead of him, it might be a little bit difficult at times for Chase Winovich to find playing time, but I think what you mentioned is the most important thing, is this is going to be a base 3-4, or even the 2-4 at times, where they're going to want to play four linebackers, whether you're outside or off the ball, four linebackers on the field at once, and based off of what we've seen out of Anthony Jennings last year, and based off what Ronnie Perkins was telling us during his media availability yesterday, where it was very clear that Ronnie Perkins' head is still spinning right now, trying to learn everything in the Patriots' defense, it kind of feels like you need that experience. And if a guy like Judon or a guy like Van Noy were to go down, then you really would want Chase Winovich on the team at that point. I could see, just to go back to kind of what you said earlier, right, about what kind of player Chase Winovich is going to be throughout his career. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a Chandler Jones type of arc. I don't right. know that he's that kind of player, right? I don't know that he's ever going to be a, what was it, 22 sacks, 23 sacks ever he had a couple years ago. Um, I don't know that he ever hits that number, but Chandler Jones was a very good player in New England, but he was kind of constrained by the role he was in and just the way the Patriots play defense. And then he got out to Arizona, and he was kind of able to fully tap into his potential, and it was just a little bit more – a role that was a little bit more tailored to his skill set, and he really kind of opened things up. I think that's Chase Winovich, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, that's right. just – 
different teams value certain things differently. And I think Winovich's skill, right? Like we talked about with Nikhil Harry, there's probably better chances for him to succeed elsewhere than with the Patriots. I don't think Chase Winovich is as extreme of a scenario as, as Nikhil Harry, not in that ballpark. But I do think he's a guy who's going to have success here. His time here will run its course. And I wouldn't be surprised if wherever he ends up next, uh, he elevates to another level. I think that's just, you know, the, the, the mold of player he is, the prototype of player he is. That being said, he has a role here. I think he can contribute here. I don't think they're in any rush to get rid of him right now. Yeah, I don't think so either. And Doug Kyed of Messin reported that Chase Winovich missed minicamp with a minor injury. He should be go to go for training camp. So it wasn't some sort of absence because of unhappiness with his role or the team's unhappiness with him, right? It was, it was an injury type of situation, but it'll be interesting to monitor that moving forward because they yeah. do add all these veteran guys at that spot. They do want to get stouter on the edge. That's not really Chase Winovich's thing. And who are you taking off the field in? on third and long, unless you're taking all your defensive linemen off the field. And it's possible. Which they, could, they have done. I was going to say they have done that. Amoeba defense. Bring right, it back. Right. I mean, may, usually they like to play with one guy with his hand in the dirt. So maybe, you know, to kind of hold the point of attack or maybe uh, utilize him on some sort of pick or stunt or something like that well, up front. I, Winovich could do that in theory. I don't think it's ridiculous to think he could fill that role. Yeah, or maybe somebody like a Barmore comes in and plays with his hand in the dirt and there's five guys standing up around him, right? You know, that, that yeah. sort of front. And, and maybe that's the way that they can get Winovich some playing time, but something like his, his rookie year where he played, I think what, like 35% of the snaps or something like that might happen this year. And at that point, then yeah, I think another team, whether it's at the trade deadline or next off season on a, as he enters sort of the last year of his rookie deal, he'd be much more valuable in another system if he's only playing 35% of the snaps here. You know, he's a good enough player to play more than that. Right. So the last one, uh, before we wrap things up here, Juwan Williams and just the cornerback position in general. So I tried to think of a reason to sit here and say, okay, they should move on from Juwan Williams. They should trade him. They should cut him, whatever. But it, it's so hard with the depth that they have at that outside cornerback spot. It's, it's so thin that Juwan Williams feels like as a 45th, pick in the draft just a couple years ago is going to make the team. But similarly to the Isaiah Zuber, uh, Nikhil Harry kind of comparison that I said, where if you took the jerseys off and you asked some alien who was a better receiver, they might say Zuber. If you do that with Mike Jackson Sr. and Jawan Williams, like somebody might say Mike Jackson Sr. Right, is, a, is a better corner right now than Jawan Williams, but he obviously was not a top 50 pick. Yeah, so I, I have Williams on. I I, it, they only really have eight NFL secondary players right now, and that felt thin. I ended up going with seven because there's so much versatility. I think this is a spot where, and we talk about this every year, right? Belichick's going to see who gets cut, and there's going to be some veteran somewhere who falls off a roster who he's going to bring in. Yeah. And I think outside corner is absolutely the spot to watch for that this year. I think Juwan Williams is the placeholder right now. I, you know, I think he's better than Jackson. I think he's got a better chance than Jackson. And I think you have to give him a fair shot. He was a second round pick. And it's not that he hasn't played because he's not good. He hasn't played because he's been buried behind the best, you know, cornerback trio in football, arguably, for the last three years in Stephon Gilmore, JC Jackson, and Jason McCourty. So put him in Jason McCourty's role, see what he can do. I, I, you know, I think that's an okay outcome, but I think that they would really like to find an external option and bring him in. 
uh, to fill that third outside cornerback role. And then I had Jonathan Jones as Miles Bryant as the slot corners. I think you're good there, but at the outside corner, you need some help. Yeah, it definitely feels like just a few years ago when they traded uh, from for Jason McCourty, who's in Cleveland at the time, I think, right? Like that, that was the trade that they need now. Right. They need the veteran player from another system that's better in sort of a man system. And he's maybe a new coaching staff or something like that's transitioning to more of his own scheme. So let's bring him here and let him play man to man. Uh, that, that's definitely the trade that I would look for. Juwan Williams, I have him on the team. I think the one thing that you have to like kind of think about, and I, I wrote this as well is like, Okay, so Mike Jackson Sr. has more on-ball production in these practices, right? More pass breakups, more opportunities to make plays on the football. But does that mean that they're just not throwing at Juwan Williams for some reason? Because I'm not saying that he's over there like Stephon Gilmore shutting down his side of the field and nobody wants to target him. But the fact that he doesn't get thrown at a ton in these practices I do find interesting. Like I, I don't know if that means anything, but I don't have the benefit of going back and looking at the tape and seeing when he's away from the football, is his guy getting open or not, right? So if he's not getting thrown at, I do find it interesting that is he playing good coverage and the quarterback just wants to go elsewhere with the football because Dewan Williams is in pretty good position. Uh, that that could be the case. And and maybe just the fact that he just hasn't done anything, he doesn't have any big pass breakups in practice, he doesn't have any big interceptions in practice, we sort of feel like he's not playing well. Uh, but who knows? I mean, cornerback's a position where you really don't want to be targeted a ton, right? That That's more of a testament to your talent when a guy is not targeted. that That's a better sign than maybe a guy that's targeted a ton, right? And right. So, so maybe there that, that was sort of the, the positive spin I wanted to put on Juwan Williams is that there is a chance that he's not being targeted in these practices because he's going out there with the second team defense and Mike Jackson Sr. or D'Angelo Ross or whoever, a D-Virgin, whoever it is, is getting – consistently beaten on their side where Jawan Williams is consistently competitive on his side. So the quarterback is going someplace else with the football. If you want to look for positives, uh, Jawan Williams' name never being in any of our practice write-ups, I, I feel like that's what you have to kind of hang your hat on. Cornerbacks and offensive linemen. You don't want to hear their names. You want to hear them when they get drafted. You want to hear them when the all-pro teams come out. You want to hear them when they go in the hall. That's it, right? If you're a Lions fan, you want to hear Penny Sewell's name once a year for the next 15 years in late December and then hear it five years later in Canton, Ohio. That is it. That is how these things work. I didn't notice Juwan Williams much this week, and I think that's a good thing. He was taking care of business, and that's an encouraging sign. That's a positive soon we're going to put on Jawan Williams. We were supposed to take some questions today, Alex, but we just went an hour uh, long on all these roster questions. So we'll get back to the Q&A next week. And make sure to read Alex's your roster projection dropping tomorrow morning as tomorrow, well. Mo- tomorrow morning, 985thesportshub.com. We're, yeah. we're, we're, we're having competing roster projections. Okay, we can just pump both <laughs> each other's and then we can we can all succeed here, right? There's, there's enough yeah. to go around. So 985thesportshub.com for Alex's roster, roster projection. Obviously, CLNS Media com for my roster projection. For what it's worth, Alex is much better at these roster projections than I am. I he's usually a lot closer to the I missed thing. Two players last year. I was off by two players last year. And by the way, not able to go to training camp last year. I missed two players. The year before that, I only missed one. And it was Demarius Thomas, which was stupid because they should have kept them. <laughs> Do you want to do your Madden minute before we uh, we sign yeah, off? All right. I know a lot of angry angry Patriots fans about Tom Brady sharing the cover with Patrick Mahomes. I mean, calling Mahomes a goat is ridiculous. The whole concept of a goat 
precipice is that there's only one. So it's dumb, but, uh, you know, call me a clown if you want. You can put that clown meme on me. I'm excited for franchise mode. I'll say it. They're changing some things they need to change. They're overhauling scouting. They're adding scheduling practices, game planning, coaching staffs, things like that. It's been the same damn mode for four years. I'm excited that they're finally changing it. It looks really good. I'm excited. Uh, and, and that's my, that's, I guess, my Madden, my Madden. Oh, and you know what? It's Brady and Mahomes cool cover. Put alignment on the cover. There's never been alignment on the cover of Madden. That's so wrong. Give it to Aaron Donald. He deserves it. I know like offensive lineman's probably a stretch. It probably should have been Joe Thomas at one point during his career. So but we no, never got that. No offensive or defensive lineman has ever been on the cover of Madden. Like JJ Watt was never on the cover of Madden. Okay, so again, that's another one. Good point. JJ Watt has never been on the cover. There's only been a handful of defensive players in total. I have it right here. So Ray Lewis, Troy Polamalu, yeah. but he shared yeah. it with Fitzgerald. Richard Sherman. That's all the defensive players that have ever been on the cover of Madden. Mostly wow. quarterbacks, a few running backs, handful of wide receivers. Gronk's the only tight end. Uh, no, oh, Sherman was the only defensive back. Oh, and Palomalu. But, uh, it's time to put alignment on the cover of Madden. Whether it's Donald, who it should be, whether it's Watt. I mean, I don't, I don't know that there's an offensive lineman in the league right now that has the, the face value that Joe Thomas did. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I like nobody comes to mind. There's some very good offensive line. Yeah. But I, mean, I don't know that there's a Joe I, Thomas. If he didn't play in India, I would say Quentin Nelson would have a chance. Yeah, so, he like, just doesn't. I, and I think it's got to be a tackle too. I, I yeah. kind of feel like it has to be a tackle. So maybe we'll get there, but put a, put a lineman on the cover of Madden. Let's go. Let's do it. JJ Watt, yeah. Aaron Donald, whoever. Yeah. Aaron Donald, the fact, like he's the best player in football, probably just like, you take right. away a position, and if you're just making a big board, who's the best player in football, it's probably Aaron Donald. So the fact that he doesn't even get a sniff of the Madden cover, like, I get what they were going for with the Brady Mahomes thing. Like, that's those are the two top quarterbacks in the league right now, and that's exciting or whatever, but I they guess. Had, they but... just keep putting the MVP on the cover every every single year. I mean, they could, I guess they could have done Rodgers. Maybe he didn't want to, but it was, it was right. Brady, it was Mahomes, it was Lamar. Like, give me something different. Something a little bit different. Yeah, I think I think Aaron Donald deserves it. I think he's absolutely been, the probably the it's, most it's dominant LA, player in the position. Market, yeah. Like I I would or do it regional, like the um the Athlon Sports magazine yeah. previews. Did you ever read those growing yeah. up? Or yeah, actually, I actually wrote a couple previews for the Athlon. That's sick. Actually, I've, I've always I still I go. That's like first day of training camp. I go. I get my magazines. I still do it. Yeah. Um, and it's it's you know depending on where you are in the country, it's a different cover, right? Like Brady would be on the cover here, but if you're getting it, you know, in Florida, it would probably be Dolphins or the Bucks quarterback, whatever. Regionalize it. Put you know. I put Jake Bailey on the cover for the copy sold in Boston. Put you know, put Brady on the cover in Florida. Put Mahomes on the cover in in in, in the Midwest. Put JJ Watt on the cover in Texas. Although I'm sure there's Cowboys fans who would probably refuse to buy the game if they did that. But you get what I'm saying. I, I kind of like that idea as well because like everybody wants a different cover. Like nobody. Right. Like, if you're not in Kansas City or if you're not a Patriots fan or a Bucks fan, like, do you really want Mahomes and Brady on the cover? Like, well, I guess the other thing is if you do all these different covers, first of all, the, the, the Madden cover is kind of sacred. You do lose that. Also, right. you're just, then you're just spreading the Madden curse. Like That's a pandemic, true. so maybe That's it's a good thing they don't do maybe, that. Maybe Aaron Donald's rejected them in the past because he doesn't want to get... I know players have done it. Like, so in, what year was it? Hang on, I have it right here. 
in 20, in, uh, 2007, Vince Young was on the cover as a rookie and they've never put a rookie on before. They haven't since. The only reason Vince Young did it is because about 15 players turned them down because of the Madden curse. And then the next year it was Favre who had retired because again, nobody wanted to do it. Interesting. So uh, yeah. is, is, is Bill in the game yet or does he Bill, still... Bill hasn't been in the game for a long time. He's not going to be in the game. He's not in the union. It's just like Barry Bonds, West Mailman, MVP baseball 2005. You're not, you're not going to see him. You can make them. You can create them. Um, but you know what? It always makes me feel a little better about being the Patriots because you have to like create your own coach to take over and right. I don't want to just kick Bill out. So it makes it a little easier to play as the fr- Patriots and franchise because you don't have to just Boot Bill to the curb. It is still like New England coach, like any coach. No, they give him like a different generic name every year now. It's like Gary Masters one year. I forget. They give him a different. I guess Masters makes a little bit of sense, right? Like they should just call him Yoda or something like that one year. You know, Darth Vader. Yeah, something like that. But I I also used to always get confused because you know when I was really little, I didn't know the difference. I would see B Belichick and B Billick. Right, Brian Billick. Yeah, for yeah, that reason, was confusing. Right, with my yeah. brain, I couldn't tell the difference between the two. So I'd yeah. be like, "All right, I'll be Brian, I'll be Bill Billick, whatever." So, all right, well, there's the name. I didn't think we'd get to Bill Billick today, but that's pretty cool. Well, th- thanks everybody for for allowing Alex to go off about Madden for a few minutes, and uh, he will definitely have some updates, I'm sure, uh, on his Twitter and and on the pod about how great the new Madden is or not great as I've heard I'm for the excited. last couple of years I, the Madden people have told me that it's not been so hot for the last if few it's good, years if it's good I think we should do an online franchise and invite some of the people who watch the videos to come do it with us I think that'd be fun and definitely like and share the video, please, as Mike Larry points out. I'm not going to put it up on the screen because I don't want to pat our own backs, but thank you, Mike. We appreciate that. And please do like and share the video and subscribe to the YouTube channel because when you subscribe, you'll get alerted that Alex and I are going live and doing another podcast when we come back next week to do a Q&A and listen to all your questions and all that kind of stuff. So we'll be back next Tuesday for a live Q&A edition. Even though the Patriots are going on summer break, Alex and I will continue to do the podcast in the meantime. Yeah, if, you, if you thought today was weird, just wait for the next month, month and a half. We're going to have a lot of time. It's going to gonna get weird. We're going to figure out a way to do it, and I'm sure the Patriots will keep us on our toes with something uh, to make things interesting. They always do. So until next week, signing off for Alex Barth. I'm Evan, Lo- Evan Lazar. I can't even say my own name. Thanks for watching, everybody.